And thank you all for being here this morning. I know I said that earlier, uh, but I really mean that. There's so many things you could have done with your Christmas Eve morning, uh, but you chose to spend some time with us, and we greatly appreciate your being present with us. Uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, Holly and I, we took the girls up to see the lights at Rose Tree Park. Has anybody done that? Go up to see those lights, show of hands. It's, it's awesome. It's fantastic. They put on such a, a wonderful display, um, and it's free, which I like. I like that it doesn't cost anything. And so we made our way up there a couple weeks ago, but this thing has gotten so big over the years, right? And so we're on our way there, and we had to sit in traffic to get there. We're waiting just to get off on that exit, and cars are trying to, like, but not to have road rage, right? And so I'm like, come on in, merge. Everybody merge on in. It's Christmas, right? And so we get there after what? I don't know, 25 minutes of sitting in traffic. We walk around for five minutes, and then we're on our way, right? <clears throat> now, I can remember years past where we would show up, and we would be the only family there. You know, it's just not like it used to be. You hear that refrain a lot during the Christmas season. Ah, it's just not like it used to be. And so many of our families, we have these traditions, and we like to hold on to our traditions. And traditions can be great things, but they can also start to feel like little prisons. We have to do all the same traditions every single year, right? And if we don't, it just doesn't feel very Christmassy. We have to watch this movie and go to see this lights, and we have to do this and that and the other. It's like, whoa, whoo, let's all take a breath. And let's realize, I'm going to tell you something you already know. Let's realize that things change. From one Christmas to the next, things change. So don't stress yourself out trying to recreate what you experienced last Christmas because things change, and each Christmas is unique. And there are things you're going to do this year that you didn't do last year. And parents, you know how it goes. Your kids, they grow up, and all of a sudden they're dating somebody, and they're not around on Christmas Eve, and it's like, oh, this is different. Things change. People come in and out of our lives. Things change. Loved ones pass away. Things change. And every Christmas is its own unique, special Christmas. But the one thing, here's the good news, the one thing that never changes on Christmas is what we're celebrating. The one thing that never changes from one Christmas to the next is the reason we have Christmas in the first place. The most important thing about Christmas does not change from one year to the next. Christmas from one year to the next. It's always, it is consistently a celebration of the birth of Jesus. Every single year, we're celebrating the exact same thing. Every single Christmas is supposed to be a celebration of the birth of Jesus. That's why you're here this morning, to celebrate his birth. This is how the birth of Jesus came about. It was about 2,000 years ago, and among the Israelites, they had experienced this period of silence, 400 years of silence from God. Back in Old Testament times, you had Ezra, you had Nehemiah, you had Malachi, you had these men of God, you had these prophets speaking the word of God to the Israelites. But then they died, and God did not send a new prophet for 400 years. It was 400 years of silence. God, where are you? God, are you still with us? And at this point in history, the Israelites were being oppressed by a foreign nation. 
This was not the first time that the Israelites would be oppressed, and this is not the last time that the Israelites would be oppressed. But at that time, they were being oppressed by the Romans. It was the age of the Roman Empire, and under Roman rule, the people, the Israelites, they were taxed unfairly, and under Roman rule, the Romans had corrupted their worship system, and under Roman rule, they were taxed so unfairly, and if they couldn't pay their taxes, their daughters were taken away to slavery, and the people were being oppressed. But some of the Israelites stayed devoted to their God. And some of the Israelites, they remembered those prophecies from way back when in Old Testament times. And they remembered the prophecies spoken through Abraham and spoken through Moses and spoken through David and Isaiah and Jeremiah. They remembered the prophecies about a hero that would come to rescue them. A Savior, a Messiah, the Christ who would come and save them. And this Messiah, according to their prophecies, would be in some ways like Moses who delivered them from slavery took them out of Egypt and gave them their freedom. And in some ways, this Messiah would be like their King David, their great king, a man of God. In fact, this Messiah would be from the house and the line of David. He would be of royal blood. And so some people held on to that hope that God had not forgotten them, that God would remain true to his word and send the people a Savior. Now, they didn't know exactly what that Savior would be like. They didn't know exactly what he was coming to save them from, but they held on to hope. A Messiah has been promised to us. And out of those 400 years of silence, God speaks. He speaks through his angel, Gabriel. And Gabriel speaks to a young woman named Mary. We don't know how young she was, maybe as young as 13, maybe closer to 18, but what we know from history and what we know from the customs of that time, when a, when a young woman was able to bear children, she was old enough to be married off. And I know that seems very strange to us, and I'm glad we don't do things that way now, but that's how it was in those days. And so this young woman, Mary, she was betrothed. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, and we don't know how old Joseph was, but based on what we know about the history and the culture at that time, we know that he was old enough to have himself established Maybe he was in his 20s, maybe a bit older, but he was able to prove himself that he could take care of a family. And so Mary and Joseph were engaged, and what we know based on that history and that time period is that that engagement process that was legally binding, and that couple was engaged for one year period. There was that one year of betrothal, and then after that one year, they would have the marriage ceremony, and then the woman would move in with the man and become officially his wife. And so during this time of betrothal, Gabriel speaks to Mary, and he gives her some very big news. And what Gabriel tells Mary, it absolutely, it destroys the plans that she had for her life, but in the most wonderful way. And there's so much we don't know about Mary and Joseph, but we can assume some things that just make sense. I mean, they would have had a little plan for their lives, right? You know what it's like, you married couples, remember that engagement period? Oh, we're going to get a little house, and we're going to save some money, and we're going to start a family, and all those plans that young, engaged people make, they had some kind of plans, and Gabriel says, no, God has something bigger for you. And he tells Mary, you have been chosen by God to bear his son, and the Holy Spirit will conceive a child within your womb, and that child will be the son of God. He will be the redeemer. He will be Christ the Lord. And Mary doesn't say, hey, I'm too young for all this. Can you ask somebody else? 
Mary doesn't say, listen, you know, I have a plan with Joseph, and I don't know how this is going to go over, so could you ask somebody else to do this? No. Mary says, yes. Everything you've said, Gabriel, let it be done. Let it be so. I don't know how Mary relayed this information on to her mother. I don't know how Mary conveyed this information to her father. Can you imagine how difficult that was? What were they to think? What were they to believe? What we do know is that Mary, she leaves her own hometown, and she goes and she spends some time with her relative, an older woman named Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth and her husband, Zechariah, they were also, Zechariah was also visited by the angel Gabriel about six months before this point. And the angel Gabriel tells Zechariah that he and his wife, Elizabeth, they will conceive a child through the natural means. Even though they are too old to be having children, they will experience this miracle. And the child that Elizabeth will carry will be the prophet for the Messiah. And he will carry with him that spirit of the prophet Elijah. And he will prepare the way for the Lord. And so Mary makes her journey to see her relative Elizabeth, and when Mary is a distance off, Elizabeth sees Mary approaching, and when Elizabeth sees Mary approaching, the child within her womb leaps for joy. I can't imagine what that experience was like, you know. I've, I've felt a kick, you know, from outside, right? <laughs> but ladies, a leap within the womb, and Elizabeth knows that Mary, this young woman, her own relative, she knows she is carrying, my God, she is carrying the Messiah. And so Elizabeth was in a unique position to understand what Mary was going through, and, and Mary stayed with Elizabeth for a time, and then she returns home, and when Mary returns home, her condition is evident. I mean, you can tell. And we don't know what exactly Joseph experienced when he saw Mary, when he became aware of the fact that she was with child, and we don't know if Mary tried to explain her situation. There's so much we don't know, but what we do know is that, that Joseph was a good man, and he had decided not to disgrace Mary publicly, but he had decided to break off this betrothal, this legal engagement. He had decided to divorce this betrothal quietly and not bring any further shame upon her. And after Joseph had made this decision, that same angel Gabriel spoke to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child that is conceived within her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, Joseph, she's telling you the truth. And the angel Gabriel says to Joseph, you are to give him the name Yeshua, or in Greek, Jesus. And that name means the Lord is salvation. And that angel Gabriel tells Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. And so Gabriel explains it to Joseph, this Savior, he's coming. Not just to save one group of people from Rome, not to save one group of people from a political oppressor, but to save all people from their sins. Now, as fate would have it, the emperor at the time, the Caesar, he issued that there needed to be a census. And so across the entire Roman emperor says, we need to do a census. And do you know why an emperor would want to do a census? Just to make sure he's getting all the taxes he believes he deserves, right? And so this emperor, Caesar Augustus, he said, we need to have a census, and everybody needs to return back to their hometown to register for this census. Now, Joseph, he lived in Nazareth with Mary, but he was from the house and the line of David. He was a descendant of King David. Fun fact so was Mary. 
They were both descendants of royal blood, both descendants of King David. And so Joseph, he had to return back to the home of David, back to Bethlehem. He had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem to register, and he had to take his betrothed with him. This was far from convenient. She was very pregnant. It was almost time. Yet they had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's about 80 miles away. There was no automobile. I mean, maybe you've seen on Christmas cards, Mary riding on a donkey's back. We don't even know if they had a donkey. I certainly hope they did. But an 80-mile journey, that's like from here to the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> Very pregnant. <laughs> and so they made that journey. And now a lot of people were from Bethlehem or had that line of David in them. So a lot of people had to go back to Bethlehem to register. And so they make their way back to Bethlehem and they begin to seek out shelter. They begin to seek out a room. Now among the Jews, among the Israelites, they had a custom, they had a tradition, they had a a command that they were to follow. When one of your fellow Israelites came to you and needed shelter, you would provide. You would take in your fellow Israelite if they needed that room. And so they go from door to door, but everybody's house was full. Our guest room is already occupied. One door to the next, already occupied. One door to the next, no vacancy. And at that time, at that perfect timing, Mary begins to go into labor. And so there's one man, his house is full, but he says, I've got a barn. I'm sorry, it's all I've got. I've got a barn. And so Joseph, this carpenter, he gets his betrothed into this barn. And now Joseph, this carpenter, has to deliver the baby. Oh, my goodness. And he does it. And that little baby is born. And I don't know what, the, the mix of emotions, they must have been feeling the miracle of all this, and yet the, like, I wish we had better conditions for our child. And Joseph looks around, and he finds this feeding trough, he says, well, this is going to have to be this bed. So the very first, first bed that the Messiah had was a feeding trough. And they wrap him up in cloths. And I don't know, maybe Joseph ripped some cloths off his robe so they could bind up the baby. And they, they laid him in this manger, this feeding trough. <clears throat> Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 80, tells us that in that same region there were some shepherds. They were staying out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people, not just the shepherds, not just the Israelites, but for all of us. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry, and they found their way to Mary and Joseph. And the baby, as he lay in the manger, when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been made, had told to them about this child. So they told Mary and Joseph, Hey, some angels appeared to us, and they told us, This is the Savior. They told us, We got to get over here. And all who heard it, all who heard that testimony from the shepherds, 
wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen just had been told them. This is what we celebrate today. The birth of Jesus. The birth of our Savior. The birth of the Messiah. And every single Christmas, no matter what's different this year, some of you are celebrating Christmas in a new house, or maybe you're celebrating and somebody's sick so they can't be there. Maybe your traditions aren't the same this year. But regardless, every single Christmas, we are celebrating the birth of Jesus. But more specifically, we are celebrating the gifts that he has offered to us, the gifts that this Jesus has made available to all of humankind because this Jesus belongs to all of us. For to all of us, a child is born. For to all of us, a son is given. Now here at Hope Community Church, there is one gift that we focus on. There's one gift that Jesus gives that we talk about so much. And the reason we talk about this one gift so much is because we should. It's an important gift. The most important gift that Jesus presents to you is the gift of salvation, to be saved from your sins, to be cleansed of your sins and able to receive eternal life, or to put it in Sunday school terms, children's Sunday school terms, the gift of going to heaven when you die. That is the most important and most precious gift that Jesus presents to you. My hope and prayer for you this Christmas is that you will receive that gift if you have not done so already. That you will transfer trust off of yourself and place it onto Jesus. We can't trust in ourselves for salvation. No, we place our trust in Jesus and who he is and what he has done for us. That is the most precious of all the gifts that Jesus presents to you. But it doesn't end there. Jesus also presents us with the gift of his presence to be present in our lives. You realize how precious that is? In Old Testament times, God said to Joshua, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. In New Testament times, Jesus says to his, his disciples, I am with you wherever you go. I am with you. The presence of Jesus in our lives an often overlooked gift, but so very precious. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like nobody in the world understands me? Nobody knows my unique burden. Nobody knows what I'm going through. Well, there is one who does, and it is Jesus, and he has promised to be with us. Jesus presents us with the gift of salvation. He presents us with the gift of his presence. Jesus presents us with the gift of his peace. Peace on earth. Peace to us who follow him. Jesus at the last supper, he spoke to his disciples and said, I'm going to give you this peace. This is the gift of my peace. Jesus said, I do not give you peace like the world gives you peace. Because there is a worldly type of peace. And it was long as all of your bills are paid and everybody's healthy and of all your relationships are functioning well and everybody you know is doing well. As long as everything is just so, you can experience worldly peace. And so many of us human beings, we try to pre preserve and, and try to establish that worldly peace. Let me tell you right now, it's impossible to maintain. Something's always going wrong. There's always going to be an issue or trouble in your life. But Jesus says, I give you peace that surpasses 
understanding. I give you a peace in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trials, in the midst of difficult times, in the midst of grief. Jesus gives us the gift of peace. Jesus gives us the peace, the gift of his salvation, the gift of his presence, the gift of his peace. And there are so many more gifts that we could talk about. But the last one I want to focus on today is the gift of his light. The gift of his light. And earlier we looked at that passage. It was a prophecy from Isaiah and talking about a people who are walking in deep darkness, have seen a great light, and how this Messiah, this Jesus, would come to bring light into the world. And so often we think about light and darkness as good versus evil. And that's there, that's fine, but really that darkness represents confusion, you know, a lack of clarity. I mean, literally to have the lights off and not know where you're going. And there is so much Friends, there's so much darkness in this world. So many voices out there telling you what to do and how to live and how to invest and what to pursue and what to avoid, how to handle your relationships. All these voices speaking at us, but what are they saying? All these different approaches to life, what are they telling us? So much confusion. And in the midst of that deep darkness, that deep confusion, Jesus brings us light, clarity. Sometimes this light is called the way, the way of Jesus. Into that deep darkness, Jesus tells us, love one another. Love your neighbors, and by the way, everyone's your neighbor. Love your enemies, not only love them, but pray for them. Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. If the situation was reversed, how would you want to be treated? Jesus tells us the way to live. Jesus tells us what to, to pursue. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and God will take care of the rest. And into that deep darkness, Jesus gives us the light of his path, the light of his way. And so, this Christmas, my prayer for each one of you is that you will receive these gifts from Jesus. First and foremost, the gift of salvation, but also the gift of his presence with you, the gift of his peace in your life, that constant, steady, reliable peace and the gift of his light. Let's pray together. Again, Father, we give you thanks for who you are. We give you thanks for all that you have done for us. Jesus, we thank you for the great sacrifice you have made on our behalf. You gave up your royal status in heaven to be born among us as one of us. You sacrificed your flesh and blood on the cross for us. Father God, you gave up the life of your one and only son for us. And Jesus, you have offered to us these precious gifts, gifts that we could not acquire for ourselves, gifts that we could not purchase ourselves. You have purchased for us. You've offered to us the gift of salvation the gift of your presence, the gift of your peace, the gift of your light. Let, these, let this be the Christmas, Jesus, where we receive these gifts from you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.